Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson. My usual co-host, Aaron Miller, is away this week, so uh, I'm going to be doing this episode and the News Roundup episode solo this week. Uh, this is the Question of the Week episode. This is our deep dive episode for the week, and I'll be talking through the announcements that Microsoft made at its Build Developer Conference, which I attended this week. So there were two uh, keynotes on first and second days, and I'll be talking through each of those announcements. That would be the content of this episode. The News Roundup episode will cover the other news from this week that doesn't relate to Microsoft and the Developer Conference. So uh, the structure I'm going to follow today is fairly close to the structure of Microsoft's own keynotes, uh, where the first day was focused on sort of a general vision and then cloud and AI. And the second day was more focused on Windows and devices and some other stuff around more consumer-centric stuff. Uh, so that's the order in which I'm going to go through things is that order may wrap up with some sort of general thoughts about things as well. Uh, the first day stuff was interesting. Um, it was a three-hour keynote, which is an awful lot of time to take for one of these keynotes. And uh, as I say, the focus was really on cloud and AI, but it kicked off with uh, a presentation from Satya Nadella, the CEO, and you know what was interesting there was he's really becoming the sort of philosopher CEO, if you like. He really seems to like to kick off these events with a sort of philosophical discussion about some topic or other. So at the education event um, that happened where they introduced Windows 10s and some various other things, he sort of started out talking about education and uh, his uh, family's history and experience with education. At this event, he talked about the role of technology in our lives and what we can do to uh, mitigate some of the negative effects of technology in our lives and also talked about the limitations of technology in solving the world's problems. So it was very frank about the fact, very realistic about the fact that technology can't solve all of our problems, that we need human beings and an ethical framework and so on in order to guide our use of technology and our development of technology. And he's been somewhat unique, I think, in calling for some of these things over recent years among major tech CEOs. And it's something I appreciate. I think these are real issues that need to be dealt with and you don't hear the other tech companies talking about them in quite the same way, unless it's very narrow uh, as it relates to specific features or whatever that they're working on. So it might be, you know, in Apple's case, they do talk a lot about privacy, for example, but mostly in the context of here's our products, here's how we respect your privacy in our products. Um, and so this is a slightly different, broader sort of view, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but the other big theme from Satya Nadella's introductory remarks is sort of more strategically important for Microsoft. And this is really a shift from uh, the mobile-first, cloud-first vision that he sort of kicked off with when he took over as CEO from Steve Ballmer uh, to a new vision. And uh, I wrote about this for Tech Pinions this week. It's my, my public column on Thursday. Uh, so I'll link to this in the show notes. But um, I really talked about that shift. And, you know, Satya Nadella's original vision was already a shift from Steve Ballmer's vision, which for the last few years of his time at Microsoft was about devices and services. And that was a recognition that Microsoft's traditional model of selling software on a one-off basis was unsustainable, was really not the model that was going to work in the future. And that if Microsoft was going to continue to be successful, it needed to monetize in different ways. And the way it would do that was to um, invest in two things, devices and services. Devices being hardware, so it would build software, uh, build Surface devices, for example, itself, would go on to acquire the Nokia phone business. And uh, on the services side, 
uh, would turn its software into services, so Office 365 and that kind of thing. So uh, from that perspective, uh, that that was his vision. Satya Nadella came in. He changed the vision from from that, which was really wasn't really a strategy. Devices and services. It was a, a statement about business models and how those would have to change. And you know, to that extent, Microsoft did sort of execute on that vision somewhat. Clearly, some of their hardware efforts have gone better than others. Surface has done pretty well. Uh, the Nokia phone business is obviously a complete disaster and has basically shrunk to nothing at this point. But Satya Nadella's vision was mobile first, cloud first. Um, and, you know, this is really a recognition that it wasn't Windows first. It was mobile and cloud were going to be principal considerations in everything that Microsoft did. And it wasn't going to be specific to the devices or the platforms that it owned. It was going to be broader than that. And that was a huge strategic shift. Instead of prioritizing Windows over everything else, this was a recognition that it had lost the mobile platform wars, for example, that cloud uh, was going to be far more important than individual devices in the enterprise environment in many ways. And so very logically focused on those things, and that opened the door for all kinds of things that have happened since, including you know the, the coming of the Office apps to iOS and so on. Uh, so lots of change that's resulted from that, and that's been a consistent vision and a good one. And the fact that Microsoft's now moving on from that is a sign that it feels like those things no longer need to be spoken. You know, Yes, of course, mobile is first and foremost in your mind when you're developing any new technology product today. Doesn't mean it's going to be mobile only by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly mobile is going to be a prime consideration. And then cloud, everything you develop is again going to have cloud components, especially in the enterprise. And so that that vision is still valid, but it perhaps isn't what Microsoft needs to be emphasizing. It no longer provides any meaningful differentiation since everybody else is arguably mobile first and cloud first too. And so the new vision that was articulated in the day one keynote was about intelligent cloud and intelligent edge. And it's important to talk about what that means because it's less obviously intuitive than mobile first, cloud first is as a slogan. Uh, but really what this is about is uh, that Microsoft's vision of what the cloud is is now evolving and becoming subtler in some ways. But it's no longer just about what we normally think of as cloud, which is huge data centers with lots of servers. Uh, Microsoft's vision for the cloud is now a combination of that and stuff that happens at the edge. In other words, smaller devices, in some cases, really tiny, low-power devices. Um, they talked about a Raspberry Pi, for example, really low minimum requirements on some of these devices. But the cloud functionality, including some of the Azure functionality, would be redesigned and repackaged and extended to some of these smaller edge devices. And the theory here is that, in essence, when you do all the processing in the cloud, that has huge benefits in terms of processing power and so on, speed and all that kind of thing, especially for very, very large data sets. But it also introduces latency. When every individual decision has to be delayed until data can be packaged up, sent across a network to the cloud, processed there, the results determined, and then sent back to the edge of the network where decisions need to be made, that introduces significant latency. And it may only be a few seconds. I mean, when I say significant, it's all relative. But if you're in an emergency situation, uh, and the example they used was machinery in a huge factory where if the machine starts to go wrong, you want to shut it off as quickly as possible. Uh, you know, that two seconds of latency could mean the difference between saving a machine before things go horribly wrong and totally destroying it. Um, and so the example that was used on stage was uh, an edge device in one of these machines that, that's tracking certain metrics, that has been trained to know what to look for, 
um, and uses AI machine learning and so on. And then when warning signals show up, then it's able to shut things off within a few hundred milliseconds. Uh, so it's a tenth of the time it might have taken before. So instead of two seconds, you have 200 milliseconds and you respond much more quickly. So it's just one example that was given. But the idea is about devolving and spreading the cloud functionality beyond the traditional domain of the cloud, which is servers and data centers, to the edge, putting more intelligence there, and then using this connected, integrated cloud infrastructure between the core and the edge to get stuff done. And so that's really what this intelligent cloud, intelligent edge vision is about. And there were some more examples of that that were shared throughout the rest of the session. But that's really the big vision now and it's an important one and that was really the theme of that first day not just Satya Nadella's keynote but a lot of the cloud and AI stuff that followed afterwards has applications for IoT obviously in the industrial environment but over time the same thing could be done not just with uh, industrial IoT devices but with smartphones PCs and so on carrying more of the heavy lifting from an AI machine learning perspective working together with cloud resources as necessary to get the job done. And so that's a really interesting vision. It's a distinct vision as well. It's different from really what everybody else is talking about. Yes, Apple and Google are both also talking about doing some processing, doing some machine learning and AI on devices at the edge. But it's typically in the context of talking about services running on those devices and where's the best place to do the processing. This is not in the context of their enterprise cloud business, which is how Microsoft's talking about this. It's a subtle difference, but it's an important one because at Microsoft, this is part of their overall vision for the cloud and the enterprise and Azure and what that is and what it will do for people. Uh, those other companies, it's more a, a sort of a consumer end-user device-centric view of the world. So it's separate from whatever they may be doing in the cloud, which in Apple's case is, you know, all consumer tied. But in Google's case, is a very separate enterprise cloud business that this is, this is disconnected from. So that's an important thing there. Um, the other big theme in that first day was the Microsoft Graph, which it started talking about some time ago. Uh, but it really evolved, and, and there was more on this in the second day, and I'll come to that later. But the idea is that the Microsoft Graph captures all kinds of information about users and their activity, and it makes it available in a lot of different places. So in the Microsoft first-party apps and services, but also developers can tap into that and then use it in their apps and services as well. And so that was another important theme. And again, I'll come into that in more detail uh, when I talk about the second day keynote, because that was really where it talked about some of the consumer applications of that. And then the other one is that Microsoft's finally opening up Cortana Skills. It was announced back in December. Uh, immediately afterwards, Harman Kardon announced that it was developing a speaker off the back of that to be effectively like Amazon's Echo device. Uh, this past week, it announced that it, it was uh, still planning to do that, that it would be available in the fall. They put out a sort of a teaser video for it. No pricing, no precise date, but it's a, an example of something built using not only the Cortana skills, but the SDK for hardware manufacturers that Microsoft's released. So um, they finally opened up Cortana skills, uh, which is basically their set of APIs for people that want to build apps for Cortana. Uh, and they talked about uh, Dark Sky and Domino's Pizza, for example, having built those skills that will be integrated in. Um, that integrated model is a bit different. In Amazon's uh, Alexa skills model, you have to explicitly install the apps as an end user to be able to use them and then invoke them. Whereas uh, Microsoft's vision has at least some apps pre-installed. So even though they're third-party apps, they're, they're pre-installed, you don't need to explicitly install or add them as a user and they'll be available to you. So some interesting stuff there. Um, obviously Cortana is very PC-centric. I mean, Microsoft talks about 140 million plus users for Cortana. Um, but the vast majority of those are obviously on the PC. Very few people likely using that on a mobile device today. 
Windows Mobile has a tiny market share and people installing and using regularly a third-party assistant on, say, Android or iOS, that number is going to be very small as well. So this is a very PC-centric vision uh, for Cortana. And uh, there's some other stuff that came out this week that wasn't announced explicitly but seems to be coming at some point soon called Home Hub in which you would manage uh, various... Uh, well, basically, you'd have an assistant on your PC and your PC starts to act a bit like uh, the Amazon Echo show that was announced this week where it's sort of a screen within the home that pops up relevant information and then can be voice activated as well so we're going to see that pc centric vision as well as speakers like Harman Kardon's and hp supposedly making one too it's gonna to be quite a different vision from the sort of speaker based model uh, that amazon's already pursued uh, google has a combination smartphone and speaker centric model Today, Apple has a very smartphone-centric model, though it's also available on the Apple Watch and iPads and the Mac and Apple TV. Um, it is rumored to be about to launch a speaker. So we're seeing very different configurations of this sort of assistant model with different devices, either more or less prominent in the overall vision. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see how Microsoft's version of that, which is very PC-centric, will play out. It's going to be quite a different uh, implementation of the concept, I think, from what we've seen from others. So that was really the first day keynote. There was a ton of stuff about AI at the end of it as well, which is interesting. A lot of stuff about cognitive uh, services, which are sort of the uh, third-party services around AI and machine learning that Microsoft opens up to developers. And, and this is an interesting area that's worth talking about at least a little bit more. Um, Microsoft talked a lot about democratizing AI, and I, you know, th that phrase didn't really show up during the event this time around. Uh, but the concept was very much still there in the background. And this is really about saying, hey, we're really good at machine learning and AI. We use it in our own products. And that's certainly a big part of Microsoft's story around machine learning and AI. But more importantly, in some ways, or at least as important, is that Microsoft opens up that functionality to developers who may themselves have no skill or capability to build machine learning or AI on their own. And now it opens up all these cognitive services, which are the equivalent of different parts of the brain, essentially, that they open up to developers, that developers can use and combine in different ways to achieve uh, different tasks that leverage AI and machine learning. And I think, you know, Microsoft and Google here are really the two primary companies pursuing that vision of enabling machine learning and um, AI for third parties and developers. Um, and, uh, you know, Microsoft, I think, took a significant step forward this week in that respect. They added some new cognitive services, got some really clever translation stuff. I saw a demo. There was one on stage that didn't work great, I think, probably because of the ambient noise. Uh, but we saw a private demo on Monday in an analyst session uh, that was utterly uncanned. It was three people that didn't have any kind of script speaking in English, Chinese and uh, Italian and uh, real-time uh, translation of voices into the other voices, into text and so on. Really very impressive. So they've got some good stuff going on there now. Some interesting new custom options for developers too, so they can add their own um, syntax and uh, you know word libraries and things like that if they have you know either obscure or made-up languages and so on, whether that's in the context of a game or um, some kind of specific field of research or whatever, they can add a lot of custom stuff to some of these tools now, whether it's image recognition, speech recognition, and so on, uh, that really kind of takes some of this stuff forward. So they're doing some really interesting stuff around AI now, certainly one of the leaders in this area, and that, that was really reinforced during that first day keynote. Uh, I'll move on to the second day keynote now. And this, as I said, was more Windows and device-centric. This is a shorter keynote. It's more like two hours. Um, and the main focus was Windows, uh, but there was also some discussion about uh, new features within Windows and then mixed reality, which is also part of the Windows story, frankly. 
Um, but the theme for that second day, if the, the theme for the first day was intelligent cloud and intelligent edge, the theme for the second day was really about breadth of devices and platforms. And uh, in some ways, an extension of that kind of mobile first vision of, of Satya Nadella's um, that is all about uh, being present on other devices and platforms that Microsoft doesn't directly control. And so uh, there was some stuff at the beginning about, you know, the platform wars are over and so on. In a sense, yes, Android and iOS have won. Microsoft lost in terms of mobile. They're over in that sense, but clearly there's still massive competition between Android and iOS at an operating system level in mobile and you know Google and Apple as ecosystems. And then Microsoft plays into that as well. So we should be under no illusions that somehow there's pieces broken out and and Microsoft is Switzerland here, but that's kind of their message that you know if you buy into the Microsoft ecosystem as a consumer or as a developer, you can actually play nicely across all of these domains and actually life will be better for you as you combine these different platforms with connective tissue from Microsoft. So that was really the theme and I'll kind of go into some more detail about that as we go through. Uh, but the big announcement on that second day was a new version of Windows that's coming out in the fall. Uh, Microsoft's been moving towards twice annual updates for uh, Office and Windows, at least big updates, obviously do patches and so on in between. Uh, this one had some other name. We don't know what it was, but at the last minute, for whatever reason, that naming for the new Windows update uh, fell through. And so literally as a sort of a last minute thing, um, Microsoft changed the name to Windows 10 Full Creators Update. And of course, their previous update is simply the Creators Update. And so this is now the Full Creators Update. It's utterly unimaginative, pretty uninspiring. It's a real mouthful. Uh, and Terry Myerson had, had conceded as much when I was talking to him on Monday about this. So, um, you know, this was a last minute switch. The reality is, and I kind of had some arguments on Twitter about this this week with people, but arguably uh, naming of these things doesn't matter that much. In reality, people are going to get a pop up on their screen on Windows 10 PCs. It will say an update is available. These are the features. Yes, it will probably have that name in there. But, you know, the name is really irrelevant. Nobody's going to a store and deciding whether to buy this or not based on the brand. It may reinforce people's perceptions around Microsoft as a as an engineering-led company, which isn't great at naming products in consumer-friendly ways. That would be entirely reasonable. But the reality is, as I say, the name is far less important than the contents of it. So let's move on to talking about those. Um, the first feature that Microsoft really kind of highlighted was an app called Story Remix, which is sort of an automated video creation tool that takes photos and videos and uh, uses AI to kind of combine them together with music uh, where there are cuts between the photos and videos in such a way that it's timed to go with the music and you kind of tell it how long you want it to be. Um, there's some really clever stuff in there. Uh, the music side, this wasn't really covered in the keynote, but it's well worth noting. The music isn't, if you've, if you've ever used iMovie or anything like that, oftentimes there are music tracks and you apply the music track and however much time you have is how much of that track gets played. And the problem is, you know, in some cases that means you run out of footage after 30 seconds and the track basically either fades out at that point or abruptly stops. Um, but the way this works is that the music's actually not single tracks, but rather elements that can be recombined in different ways to different lengths. So if you have a 30 second video, there's a 30 second version of that song. If it's a minute and 25 seconds, then there's a minute and 25 second version of the song. And uh, that's how it works. And so it's actually really quite a bit more sophisticated than the way the music element works with most of this stuff. Um, but yes, it's automated. So it cuts stuff together to go with the music, um, figures out which are the best shots, where are people smiling and looking at the camera and, and all that kind of stuff. 
and combines it together in a way that makes sense. So there's an automated component to it, but that's then customizable as well. And so you can pull it apart and say, no, take out these three shots, add in this other bit of footage I got sent. You can have people add footage and photos collaboratively. Uh, so you can have people send you footage and you add it in as well. Uh, but one of the really clever elements is sort of some um, overlay features that you can do where you can take 3D and 2D objects, insert them in, and then you can attach them to elements within a video. Uh, so the example that was used on stage was um, a girl scoring a goal in a soccer game. Uh, you attached a fireball to the soccer ball uh, such that it re effectively replaced it in the shot and it looked like the player was kicking a fireball into the goal. And then there was a, an explosion which was tied to the, the ground within the goal area. So it looks like the goal is exploding and so on. So uh, there's that. There's three-dimensional stuff like you can superimpose a dinosaur that's three-dimensional and seems to interact with objects in the scene. You can animate that so it's not just a stationary object. It's actually got some personality to it. And again, I saw a demo of this privately. It was really quite impressive. So, you know, this is a really great story for Microsoft being able to tell. Um, it certainly fits with its creativity mantra that it's got going at the moment. Um, you know, I've, I've long argued that Microsoft needed a counterpart to its productivity message uh, for consumers, for people that don't just want to be productive in their personal lives but want to uh, feel like they're doing something that's enjoyable. And creativity is the, the word they've chosen. I think it's a good one. Uh, they still stretch it a little too much. They apply it to things like creating Excel spreadsheets, which... You know, I'm not sure anybody considers true creativity, but uh, so it feels like a bit of a stretch and, and calling the creators update and the four creators update those names could alienate some business customers that just want better business features. Um, but it sounds like it's resonating with people from the conversations that I had with the executives. So that's working out. But anyway, this is a great example of creativity uses AI, machine learning and so on. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's a nice step ahead in some areas versus some of the competing products. And so it's, you know, one of those headline features that will be great to say, hey, did you know Windows could do this? So I think it's going to be successful in that sense. The second thing that Microsoft really talked about was a new design language called Fluent Design. Uh, and this is intended to kind of unify all the different elements of Windows, which now across obviously uh, laptops and PCs, uh, HoloLens, uh, VR and other sort of mixed reality devices as Microsoft likes to call them, phones and potentially other devices as well, Xbox. Uh, and the idea is to provide unifying themes visually through those things while allowing for the fact that each of them needs to work in different ways and not sort of forcing a single model on everybody. And so there are a lot of different elements to that, um, sort of as materials, as motion, there's depth and all kinds of other concepts. There was there were some examples shown on stage and there were some other sessions where they dive deeper into some of this stuff. A lot of it feels conceptual still at this stage uh, and we'll see what it actually ends up looking like in the final product. I think some of these elements are going to be toned down from the stuff that's been shown off so far, uh, but it's, it's attractive. Certainly uh, I think some of it probably goes a little too far. It's a little too gimmicky and needs to be toned down a little bit. And, and I think it probably will be. Um, there are some echoes of their past sort of aero slash glass interface elements that I think we see in here. Um, and, and so that's interesting sort of hearkening back there. But um, anyway, that was a, a sort of a, a point about design, which is sort of part of the evolution of Windows as well. And be interesting, as I say, to see where that ends up. Um, a couple of other things that Microsoft talked about, um, something called OneDrive Files on Demand. Uh, which is really about uh, combining cloud and local storage in smart ways. 
such that you store your files in the cloud, but you have available what you need locally. Um, I know a lot of people have been saying that's what they want from storage. Uh, I really don't like the idea of not having direct control over what's where. Um, I always prefer more explicit uh, control over which files are local, which are in the cloud and so on. But one of Microsoft's challenges with OneDrive has been that it's felt very separate from the local storage and the file manager that people are used to and so on. And so this is an attempt to, to bridge that gap a little bit. And I saw at least some people responding positively to that. Uh, another feature is called Timeline. And this is where we go back to the graph stuff that I talked about earlier. So Timeline is best, if you're familiar with Macs, it's kind of like your recent items as if they were synced across all the different devices that you use, whether or not they were made by Apple. Um, and so, it's like your history in your browser. It's like the recent items on the Mac or your sort of recent files in a, a, an app like Word, uh, but across the whole system and then across devices and platforms as well. So this will work within Windows, but through Cortana on third-party devices, uh, it will work there as well. So we'll keep track of the different files and activities you've been engaging in, whether that's viewing web pages, whether that's creating a Word file, whether that's you are watching this movie, it'll keep track of where you are within those files. And then on any device you open up that's compatible with the system, it will show you those things as a sort of a history or timeline. And you can then dig back into it and pick up a task that you were recently engaging in on a different device, on a different platform, uh, where you left off and, and carry on with that. And so that's the value proposition there. So in some ways, it's sort of like uh, continuity and handoff that Apple announced a couple of years ago. Um, but has some special source to it, which is that it's cross-platform. And this is an example of the kind of stuff they were talking about with uh, you know, the platform wars being over and working across iOS and Android as well as Windows. The fundamental limitation here is, of course, that Microsoft has very little share of usage on mobile in terms of total usage. Within the productivity domain, specifically, obviously, it has significant share. But in terms of where people really spend time on mobile, it's mostly not in things that Microsoft does. Uh, and so that's going to be the fundamental limitation is on your mobile devices can be very few places where this works. And of your mobile activity, the vast majority of it's not going to be captured by any of this and therefore isn't going to be available on your other devices. So if you're watching the Hulu app on your iPhone, for example, Microsoft will have no idea that that's the case. Whereas Apple's TV app will capture that and be able to serve it up to you on your Apple TV. So there are some limitations to this. Uh, you know, Apple's ecosystem approach has been all about Apple devices. Uh, there are some exceptions to that. And, and part of the news this week was that iTunes is coming to the Windows Store. Uh, and there's a question about to what extent that's just a repackaging uh, of the existing app for compatibility's sake, or whether that's some real work that's gone into that from Apple's perspective. Um, but the point is, Apple is mostly a, an Apple shop. It, it basically fosters the Apple ecosystem on Apple devices, and that's always the main focus. Um, and um, Google is, you know, a web platform. So it's always available everywhere where the apps or the web are available. But, uh, you know, Android itself has no sort of special source around most of the G Suite and so on. So different approaches from these different companies. Again, uh, Microsoft's is more ecumenical, more sort of explicitly cross-platform. But as I say, the big limitation, especially from a consumer's perspective, is that the Microsoft graph is going to have big holes in it. Uh, from a consumer perspective on those third-party devices and on mobile in particular. So that's that's enough about that, I think. Um, the other big thing is mixed reality. Um, and mixed reality is Microsoft's word for the, or phrase for the continuum of everything that sits between actual reality and completely digital worlds. 
Um, and you know, in and of itself, that's not a terrible way to describe it. It is a continuum. There's lots of different elements within that. Uh, augmented reality and virtual reality are points on that spectrum, and there are different versions of each of those. Um, and Microsoft called the whole, calls the whole thing mixed reality. And the frustrating thing for me was that Alex Kipman, who runs this area at Microsoft, was sort of saying their, their naming, their wording is less confusing. And if only everybody would just use their wording, which is more accurate. The point is people are familiar with AR and VR. They don't know what mixed reality is. And the reality is, I think people are getting confused about what Microsoft means by mixed reality because that wasn't the terminology they started with. They started out talking about holographic computing in the context of HoloLens and then only introduced this mixed reality uh, concept later on. And they had it in their minds all along, supposedly, but by not introducing it right at the beginning, they now have uh, got people thinking that holographic computing and HoloLens is one thing, mixed reality is something else, and mostly is VR. That's not how Microsoft wants us to think about it, but that's the opinion and the idea a lot of people are getting. Uh, in reality, mixed reality is the, sorry, I keep saying in reality, no pun intended, but uh, mixed reality is the concept for the whole continuum of stuff, including holographic computing, including the VR stuff that Acer and others are now doing through Windows. Um, but that vision is is a joined up vision where uh, Microsoft Differentiator, as it sees it, is it's a single platform that developers can work with. It's interoperability for consumers, so I can have a VR experience, you can have an AR experience, but they're all part of this mixed reality continuum. We could play the same game together. Uh, we could collaborate together, even though we're using different hardware with different versions of uh, augmented and virtual reality. So that's the vision. It's an interesting one. They're behind in this because HoloLens is so niche, it's irrelevant, and so they need the VR stuff to take off and they've got some interesting stuff coming with motion controllers for say the Acer VR headset uh, later this year for $400 which is cheaper than any competing uh, PC or console based approach uh, so that will be interesting to see but right now they're behind and and, and I think their, the, their position in the market doesn't justify their preachiness about their vision their wording and so on I think a bit more humility is warranted uh, but some of the ideas are good nonetheless and, and there's some interesting stuff there. Uh, and then the last thing that's worth mentioning, again, this goes to the kind of cross-platform stuff. From a developer's perspective, they, they did a lot of stuff here. They've got uh, iOS app development now through Visual Studio on a Windows computer uh, and lots of things like that. So they really, again, playing that ecumenical role saying you can develop for everything uh, on Windows devices. And so this is the developer version of that breadth of vision, the cross-platform vision uh, that you get on the consumer side with things like timeline that I was talking about just now. So again, that, that sort of breadth was the theme for the second day. Uh, and some of it works, some of it in my mind doesn't work quite yet. Uh, but there's an interesting vision. And again, it's a distinct vision, which in some cases is important because uh, laying out a distinct vision and being able to articulate that and execute on it is in some ways some of the most important stuff you can do. So anyway, fascinating couple of days with Microsoft. There was a lot more announcements I haven't talked about, including Windows on ARM, which I wrote about briefly today in Tech Narratives. I wrote two long comments for Tech Narratives on these announcements. Um, I wrote that piece for Tech Opinions, which I'll link to as well. So all those links will be in the show notes. Again, Tech Narratives, a subscription service. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet, there's a 30-day free trial, so you can try it out and get all the functionality for 30 days. You just go to technarratives.com and sign up there. If you like it, uh, become a subscriber on a, on a paid basis going forward. If you don't, you can always cancel before the 30 days are up. But uh, I link to a lot of those pieces from the show notes because it's where I kind of give some of my opinion on the news at, that we discuss on the episodes. So that's this week's question of the week. Uh, I'll have the news roundup episode up shortly 
uh, as well. So those will be the two episodes. And that other episode will cover some of the other big news this week, like Amazon's Echo Show, uh, Snapchat's results, and various other bits and pieces. So look for that shortly on the same app where you're listening to this. Uh, And hopefully we'll be back with Aaron next week as usual. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.